When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Carrera here with you on yet another Victory Monday, the fifth straight Victory Monday for the 49ers as they are coming off a double, or I should say a two-score victory against the Seattle Seahawks, 28-16. to We're going to break it down. We'll go through the game drive-by-drive, drive, break it down possession-by-possession. Possession. Want to do something a little different on today's show? I want to do a live call-in show. So I'm going to tweet out the link from my handle at stats on fire. If you want to join the show live and talk with me and to me and to everybody, come on board. Vish is in India, so he's not going to be able to join the show, unfortunately. Uh, So I thought we'd do something a little different on Mondays. I always like to talk with you, get your opinion, your take on everything. So come join me. I'll tweet out the link right now. Come join me live to talk 49ers and we'll have a conversation. And as I go through, if I say something that sparks your, uh, your memory or anything like that, then come on, we'll talk about it. Uh, I just finished my third rewatch of the game. I have observations. First things first. Oh, I want to remind you, please like, and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Should have said that. So I'm rewatching the game. And as I'm going through, it didn't exactly start off like a blowout. Like we sometimes I think if they win by more than one score, we think everything was perfect the whole time. But if you just go and you look at the 49ers drives in the first half of this game, it kind of tells a little bit of a different story. And I'll pull it up on the uh, stream. Oh, you can't really see that here. Let me zoom in a little bit. Obviously, they get the touchdown on the first play. Hooray. Christian McCaffrey is awesome. Great. Then Seahawks go down the field. They get a touchdown on a really good throw from Drew Locke. Like the coverage was right there. Really good throw. Then the Niners get the ball back. And what happens? Three and out. Punt. Seahawks punt. Niners get it back. Three and out. Punt. Seahawks get it back. They break off a couple big plays, a couple runs. They get the field goal. It's 10-7. They have the lead. The next possession, the Niners are moving down the field. Yes, but Brock and Ayuk have that little weird miscommunication and the ball's intercepted. So now it's like, hold on, wait a minute. It's 10-7 Seahawks. The Niners have had one good drive that was really just one play before the touchdown. All of a sudden, it's 10-7 and the Seahawks have the ball back and they're driving down the field. And what happens at the end of that Seahawks drive? They are driving down and they get stopped by the defense. Third and nine, they punt. And even on the the second touchdown drive that the 49ers have in that half, I don't know if you remember, that possession was not going well for the Niners, right? Purdy hits Ayuk, okay, first down. McCaffrey, chunk play, 20 yards. First down again. Then Purdy gets sacked on first down, minus eight. Little completion to Debo. And then it's third and 11. 
at the 49ers 46 yard line. And then Brock throws the touchdown, of course, to Debo Samuel. And it's like, okay, we're feeling good. We're feeling ourselves a little bit. But that was third and 11 on that drive. You're not going to get a ton of touchdowns on third and 11. You're certainly not going to get a ton of 54 yard touchdowns on third and 11. Fortunately, Jamal Adams was in coverage. We all know Jamal Adams stinks. Yikes, Jamal Adams, if you know, you know. And the Niners get the touchdown and you're like, okay, now we've sort of restored order a little bit. But the Niners went touchdown, punt, punt, interception, and then we're facing third and 11 from their 46-yard line before they got the touchdown. That's how this game went in the first half. Even though they were chewing up yardage, Niners had their highest offensive yardage total of the season yesterday, and they actually didn't play anywhere near to their best offensively. Crazy day. I was really stunned by that. And when Tim Kawakami tweeted out after the game, hey, this is the highest yardage total the Niners have had all year, I was like, wait, what? Really? Really, really surprising stat. Bay Marin, YouTube channel member, says Victory Monday. Hell yeah, I got my Victory Monday t-shirt on. If you want your own Victory Monday shirt, just click the link, the homage link in the description of this show. It'll take you right to the 49ers page. You can uh, buy your own. I highly recommend it. I wear it every time the Niners win on Monday. Full White says, cheers, Rob. Eric says, stats, congrats on getting the W versus my Hawks. Five straight against the Seattle Seahawks. That has never happened before. 11 straight against the NFC West, by the way. So that's a nice little streak for the Niners. And Brock Purdy, 7-0 against the NFC West. 12 touchdowns, two interceptions, including the playoffs. It's a new era in 49er football right now. Absolutely a new era in 49er football. Uh, Gameplan.exe watching on Twitch. Shout out to everybody on Twitch. I love you. We love the Twitch audience here. I heard Seattle stole the double screen from Cleveland who used it against them earlier this week uh, per the Seattle radio broadcast. Who used it against them earlier this week? Well, it wouldn't have been earlier this week. Um, The Niners used it on them last year. The Thursday night game with Brock Purdy. That was a double screen. That's why that one stung a little bit. Um, but that's really how Seattle, I mean, they had the, the beautiful throw from Locke and they had that double screen play and that's how they scored. And, you know, we didn't really get there yet as I'm sort of going through the game. But since we brought it up, underrated play in this game is after Seattle gets that touchdown on that double screen play, they go for two. And Chase Young sacks Drew Locke and stops the two-point conversion. That would have made it a one-point game or not a one-point game, a one-possession game, excuse me. But that didn't happen. Obviously, Chase Young made the play. Doesn't even count in the official stat book, really. But uh, that was a couple of good plays. Actually, Chase Young had another play later in the game, too, where he contributed to an interception. Uh, Eric Eastland says, Kinlaw's first start and maybe his best game. Yes, I saw a really good tweet from Coach Yak, I believe. Let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, for people watching on the stream. Because... I did not think we were going to see this level of play from Javon Kinlaw. He has absolutely been a solid, solid contributor for the team. Uh, Okay, that's sorry. I messed that up. Let's try to actually present the right thing here for people on the stream. Here we go. 2022, or excuse me, 2020 through 2022 for Javon Kinlaw. 939 snaps, 30 pressures, one and a half sacks, and four pass breakups. Just this year, Kinlaw has 319 snaps, 27 pressures, so three fewer than he's had in his whole career, two and a half sacks, so more sacks than he's had in his whole career, 
three pass breakups and a pass rush grade of 76.3, which is the highest of his career. He has been a revelation, and I never thought they'd be able to get this much production out of him. I got to be honest. I was worried about the knee. I just didn't think it was ever going to let him be the player that the Niners thought he had the talent to be. Right now, he absolutely is. He absolutely is. Now, I know San Francisco has some injuries along the defensive line, which we should get an update. Kyle Shanahan is speaking. I believe they haven't moved it. So that would be 3.30 Pacific time today. Kyle has a conference call. He usually gives uh, the update on the injuries on that call. But you had, not only did you have Armstead miss the game because of the knee slash foot issues, you had Javon Hargrave have some sort of hamstring problem in this game. He left and didn't come back. That's scary. You don't like cluster injuries. I don't like cluster injuries, especially, you know, along the defensive line where the whole defense is built around that defensive line. So we got to, you know, let's hold our breath here. But for at least one game, Javon Kinlaw held up. And that's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Hang on one second. I got a heater on in here that I got to turn off. Okay, we're back. Uh, Sorry, I'm in Connecticut. It's freezing cold. Anyway, so we don't know about Javon Hargrave. We'll see. But Javon Kinlaw, first start, continued his good play this year. And that is awesome because God knows that guy has been through it. You know, you got to be mentally tough to keep coming back from injury the way he has. And he absolutely has this year. And good on him. Uh, I saw that Kinlaw had four pressures in the game. That was second only to Nick Bosa, who had eight. I believe Bosa is now tied with Micah Parsons for the league lead in pressures, by the way. So Nick Bosa appears to be all the way back. Uh, let's get to some comments. Eddie V says the Niners are missing Hufanga, Armstead, Ward, and Hargrave and still looked good. 16, uh, only allowed 16 points. And really, that was more than they've allowed since the bye week. The defense was only allowing 10 and a half points per game. So technically, it went up their yardage total, but still an incredible performance by Steve Wilkes and that defense and the secondary too, which I'll get to in a second. The secondary in this game was fantastic. I mean, honestly, they could have had multiple interceptions. Charverius Ward dropped a pick on the first possession of the game. Diamador Lenore had a ball like in his hand. I, I don't know how he dropped it. It was like in his hands and then he was kind of bobbling it and then it fell. He dropped on. He actually had an interception later that he caught that was called back because Nick Bosa was off sides. The secondary has been phenomenal in the past few weeks. And I don't know if it's Wilkes going down to the sideline. I don't know if it's you know, guys just developing. I'm certainly Ambry Thomas um, stepping up has been massive. But just the fact that they lost Traverius Ward on the first series of the game and still played as well as they did is a testament to the improvement that we've seen everywhere else in the secondary. Again, even without Hufanga, like Eddie pointed out. So I give him some credit. Uh, I wrote in my column for our website, goldstandardniners.com, about the secondary and just how impressive it was. I'm going to quote myself, so let me scroll down and uh, get the exact quote. It sounds bad to say because... It's a good stat for the Seahawks. The Seahawks had eight plays of 20 or more yards, but I didn't think the defense played that badly. I think the Niners had a couple of missed tackles and Seattle popped a couple plays, but I think the big plays that Seattle had were more due to just incredible individual plays by their players, whether it was the Drew Locke throw to DK Metcalf, or I think it was uh, Kenneth Walker had a play where he like broke a tackle and reversed field and went all the way up the left sideline. 
they got a lot of plays like that, which I give more credit to Seattle than dinging the defense on. And so I think the secondary deserves credit. DK Metcalf had just two catches for 52 yards on the day. He did have a touchdown also. Um, but they completely shut him out of the game and frustrated the hell out of him. You saw it on the sidelines. He was just, he broke the little helmet stand. Is that what you call it? He slammed his helmet on it. And apparently that was by design. So uh, Mike Silver has an article. I don't know if you saw it, but he says in the article, he quotes somebody from the 49ers talking about in the meeting before the game, Kyle Shanahan said, we are going to tick off DK Metcalf and take him out of the game. We're going to cause him to have some sort of temper tantrum. And he showed the team clips of DK just freaking out basically. And Kyle said uh, extra Christmas gift to whoever gets DK Metcalf to freak out. Apparently Fred Warner gets the award. Uh, He obviously got DK to freak out at the end of the game after the interception, he was ultimately ejected. Now, I don't think Diamondor Lenore getting thrown out was part of that plan, but full wide says DK needs to calm down too much. Roy Ridge. Look, I don't, I don't know what DK Metcalf is taking or not taking, but it is clear. He takes himself out of games. He gets frustrated. He loses his composure. He pouts on the sidelines. Greg Olson said it on the Fox broadcast that, uh, B Carroll's had to talk to him multiple times. Apparently it's not really working because, uh, he keeps doing it, especially against the 49ers, too. He just disappears. It's really bad. Uh, Juan Torres, thank you very much for the super chat. Debo helped me make the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, Debo Samuel was as close to 2021 Debo Samuel as we've seen. Again, I had it in the grades column up at goldstandardniners.com. He has six touchdowns in his last three weeks. He had five touchdowns. All of last season. That's how good Debo Samuel has been recently for the 49ers. And this is, you know, the biggest, most key part of their schedule, right? This whole Seattle, Philly, Seattle part. Over the last three weeks, 26 touches, 382 yards, and six touchdowns for Debo Samuel. He is, according to Kyle Shanahan, playing the best football of his career. That's what Kyle said after the game. He's just a menace out there when he can catch the ball and just take off. And he had the 54-yard touchdown, and he had another big chunk play in this game. I think it was for 30 yards. It's as close to Terrell Owens as I've seen anybody on the 49ers. And if you're too young to remember Terrell Owens, he was way bigger than you, way stronger than you, and way faster than you. And... The Niners have not had a receiver like that until now, until Debo Samuel. And if they wanted to with T.O., they could have run him. Uh, They didn't do that back then because nobody thought to do it, but they could have if they wanted to with Owens. That's who Debo reminds me of. And we didn't see that Debo last year. And we're seeing it now. And it is fear. We are seeing fear in defensive backs on other teams. They don't want to tackle him. They run away. (laughs) They go down. They make business decisions. We have absolutely seen that with Debo Samuel, and it's awesome to see. And Debo knows it, too. That's the best part. So he'll just run straight at people. It is fantastic to see. Uh, Glass City says, Rob, I think Debo has the most rushing touchdowns by a wide receiver since 1960. I think he does now. Now that he had the one-yard kind of reverse jet sweep type play, I think he does have it. Um, I don't know that for sure, though, so don't quote me. 
Uh, Glass City says he has 19 rushing touchdowns, most in NFL history, actually. I, I can't imagine a wide receiver that would have more, certainly in the last 40 years at least. Um, but that's what you get with Debo. You get that full package. And it's just this whole offense is so freaking scary. Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, and Christian McCaffrey combined for over 500 yards yesterday. That is absurd. And, you know, there was a lot of times when I was frustrated with Kyle because he would give, like, Jawan Jennings a bunch of targets. And it was just like, no, there's too many good people on this team for you to be spreading it around like that. Give it to the playmakers. And I feel like Kyle has really leaned into that lately and really all season, I should say, to be fair. Nick Wagner had an awesome tweet yesterday. He covers the 49ers for ESPN. San Francisco is the second team since the merger to have at least four players with 800-plus scrimmage yards and five scrimmage touchdowns through 13 games, joining the 2004 Colts. Of course, those Colts teams had Peyton Manning, Edron James, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, and Brandon Stokely. Niners, obviously, with McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, and Kittle. But that's where the, that's the kind of offense they have this year. Like th- This is all-time legendary company that we are dealing with. And I'm just enjoying the ride, frankly. I'm just enjoying the ride because I think the best is yet to come for this team. I think it's very possible they have lost their last game in 2023. I I really do. I know that Ravens game is going to be tough, but right now, how do you pick against the 49ers right now? They didn't even play close to their best game yesterday and still drop 28 and set a season high in yardage. I don't know how you pick against them. Let's check the uh, chat here. I'm surprised. Again, if anybody wants to jump in, I tweeted out the link at Stats on Fire. If you want to jump in the show, wanted to do a call-in show. I see other people doing call-in shows. I assume they're successful. I'd like to join that trend. Waltony101 says, Ayuk, Debo, Kiddo, and CMC are holding back Danny Gray from being great. Feel for him. Yeah, let's pour one out for Danny Gray. Just can't get out on the field. That's a shame. Juan Torres, thank you very much. Can you imagine playing against the Niners if they get the bye week healthy and deadly? And yeah, shame on me. 20 minutes into the show, the Niners are the number one seed. Because Dallas finally took care of business. The Eagles are on fraud watch. And the Niners have the tiebreaker. And I don't know if, I think it was Ian Rappaport or one of the national, maybe one of the national insiders said, oh, the Niners, Cowboys, and Eagles are all tied on top of the NFC. And I wrote back, no, no, they're not. <laughs> there is one team atop the NFC. This is why we have tiebreakers. It's the Niners. And this is not like some technical like strength of victory. No, they got the tiebreaker because they kicked the hell out of the Cowboys and they kicked the hell out of the Eagles. They're the number one seed in the NFC. Make no mistake, there is no tie. They are the number one seed in the NFC and they are the number one team in the NFL. Well, let's stop with all this tie foolishness. James Welsh, thank you very much, says, I never count out Kansas City, but it's exciting to think we could play Miami, the Ravens, or the Browns in the Super Bowl. Any of those are a cool billing. Well, I don't think they're going to play the Browns in the Super Bowl, but I will say this. If they did, it would be nice to get another shot at Joe Flacco in the Super Bowl. I'm just saying. I'm old enough to remember 2012 vividly, okay? where Joe Flacco had the game or really the playoffs of his life. He had 11 touchdowns and no interceptions during those playoffs. It was the best he's ever played. And the Niners had the best team that year. That was the Kaepernick team with Randy Moss 
and Frank Gore and Vernon Davis and Delaney Walker on the same freaking team and Alden Smith and Justin Smith and Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman and all those guys, they had the best team that year. The Niners absolutely had the best team. And if you played that Super Bowl 100 times, I think the 49ers win the, the other 99. Unfortunately, on that day, it didn't happen. But yeah, I'd like to get another shot at Joe Flacco. I don't think the Browns are getting there, but if he did, I would I would derive great pleasure from that, to be honest with you. The other thing I noticed re-watching this game is, man, the Niners could not run to the right. They could not run up the middle. They could only run left. And thank God Trent Williams is on that left side because he's unbelievable. But it was kind of stunning to me just how often the 49ers, when they needed to run, they had to go left. They couldn't get it anywhere else. Hopefully the right side of that, all, and I know Feliciano was in there, so maybe that's part of it, but you've got to be able to vary things up a little, a little going forward. Now they have Arizona next week. I should put up the, uh, let me throw up the schedule really quick so we can take a quick look at it uh, the rest of the way. Arizona in Arizona. Then, of course, it's the Ravens on Christmas. Then we go to the Commanders on New Year's Eve and then the Rams in Week 18. There's no reason the Niners can't win out. There is no reason they can't go 14-3 and this season, which, like, let's just pause and think about that, right? After all the consternation, after all the worrying about the quarterback and the three-game losing streak and all that stuff, here we sit. December 11th, after 14 weeks of the season, and the Niners are atop the NFC. Exactly where a lot of people said that they would be and should be. And here we are, and that's exactly how it's played out. That's a testament to the professionalism of the 49ers players. It's a testament to the coaching staff making corrections, switching things up. It's right where we want to be, and everything is in the Niners' hands. Because if they win out and everybody else wins out, the Niners are still the number one seed. So everything that they want is on the table. All they got to do is beat three teams that are under 500 and the best team in the AFC. No reason they can't do it. And I have said all year long, when the Niners are at their best, nobody can beat them. But now, like what yesterday showed me is that even when the Niners aren't at their best, they're still really damn hard to beat. And that's the sign of a really great team. That's the impressive thing. Even when they're not at their best, they're still one of the best teams in the NFL. I don't know how many other teams in the league can say that, honestly. I look at the, the Chiefs yesterday. Chiefs were not very good. They were not anywhere close to their best. They scored 17 points, barely. They're sitting here crying about a player that lined up offsides on offense, whining at the refs because the refs didn't help them avoid a penalty, which is the craziest argument I think I've ever heard. I've never seen anybody complain as much as Patrick Mahomes complained after that and in this post-game press conference. The Bills are certainly not at their best all the time and not very good when they aren't. They're 7-6. and six. They're fighting for their lives. It's the Niners, man. It is the Niners. The Cowboys, I mean, God, when they're not at their best, they're awful. They got whooped by the 49ers early. The Eagles have gotten whooped two straight weeks. Now, I will give them a little more credit because they've won some other games this year where they weren't at their best and they've still pulled it out. So they get more credit than the Cowboys do to me. But it's the Niners. When the Niners are at their best, they're the best. And even when they're not at their best, they still may be the best. Beats and 
beats and meats. Thank you very much for the super chat. Niners is such a top-heavy team. One injury could derail everything, but barring injury, ain't no one beating us. We are the buzzsaw. Well, I agree that they are top-heavy, but here's the thing. Yesterday, you went into the game with no Eric Armstead. You lost Javon Hargrave. You lost Charvarius Ward. You've lost Talanoa Hufanga, not yesterday, but obviously earlier. And you're still doing this on defense. So I don't know how valid it is to say one injury could derail everything because they've had multiple injuries. And here they are. Now, knock on wood or whatever this fake wood is that my desk is on. The offensive has been relatively healthy, right? Debo and, and Trent missed some games, but other than that, everybody's been good. And when they've all been together, they've been unstoppable. If Trent were to get hurt again, yeah, I'd be a little scared. Would it all come tumbling down? I don't think so. Honestly, I think that what hurt the 49ers more than anything during that three-game losing streak was not the absence of Debo and Trent as much as it was Brock Purdy turning the football over. Again, turnovers are the equalizer. That, to me, is what hurts more than anything else during that streak. But right now, as far as we know, again, Kyle Shannon will have his conference call 3.30 p.m. Pacific time. Stop with those stupid bubbles. I don't know why that happens. I'm sorry that those keep popping up on the screen. That was not my choice. It just turned on somehow. Uh, let's see. Uh, Heinemann says a healthy Trent and Purdy, and we're okay. Nick Eller says, is it weird to see all these quarterbacks get hurt and people say teams are being impacted by quarterback injuries and it's not us? Don't even, I don't even want to acknowledge that for fear that it could change, Okay. I don't want to acknowledge that for fear that it could change. But I do think that one of the reasons why Brock has been pretty clean this year is because a lot of times his first read is open. So he's been able to get rid of the ball pretty quickly. Now, that wasn't always the case yesterday. In fact, I actually think Brock played a hell of a game yesterday without really good pass protection. But most of the time, Brock is dropping back and he's getting that ball out. And that makes a difference. How many times did we see with Jimmy Garoppolo? holding the ball, happy feet, running around. And then three guys tackle him as he's trying to fight through a sack. And that's when you end up getting hurt. Brock yesterday, in case you need a refresher, 19 of 27, 368, two touchdowns and an interception. I'm not quite sure where I left off running through everything in the uh, second half of the game. Let's go to the 49ers first touchdown drive, which was the Debo Samuel. Was that the Debo Samuel touchdown? Yes, it was. That was a fantastic drive because Purdy makes the play to Ayuk, uh, excuse me, on first down. He drops back to pass. He rolls out. Nothing is there. So he extends the play. Ayuk goes deep, which not sure that would have always happened with other 49ers quarterbacks. And Purdy hits him on the move. Perfect stride, 45 yards. That's not a play that the national media thinks Brock Purdy can make, right? He can't do that. He can't extend the play. He can't roll out. He can't make plays outside of structure. Every pass Brock Purdy ever throws, according to the national media, is dialed up by Kyle Shanahan, right? Everybody's wide open, right? No. No, not yesterday either. It was a great play by Brock Purdy. That's a play that other 49ers quarterbacks in the Shanahan era do not and cannot make and have not made. He makes them, and he makes them all the damn time, too. He is really taking away all the arguments against him right now for MVP and just criticism of, of him as a player in general. He's been phenomenal this season. He leads the NFL in deep passing completion rate, and he has nine deep passing touchdowns. Attention, national media. 
He has 27 completions of 20 or more air yards this season. Attention, national media. It's not everything just easily dialed up and everybody's always wide open all the time. It's not. Three 49ers players had a reception of at least 44 yards on Sunday. And they weren't screen passes, okay? So let's stop acting like they were. Brock is second in the NFL in passing yardage, and he's tied for second in touchdown passes. So it's not just the advanced stats where Brock Purdy is ahead. Now it's starting to be the counting stats, too. And he's going to have an opportunity. That game on Christmas will be big for Brock Purdy's MVP chances. If he really wants to win it, he needs to ball out. It'll be national audience on Christmas against the top defense, against the top opponent. Lamar Jackson could be doing crazy stuff, too, on the other side. So if he has a good game on Christmas, he may pull out the MVP. He may. I think that Dak has pulled ahead of him uh, in the actual MVP odds. I'm not totally sure, but I think he did. But he's still playing awesome, and that's what I've said, too. It doesn't matter. Not that it doesn't matter, but it's okay if Brock Purdy doesn't win the MVP because they're still getting... MVP quality quarterback play. And that's ultimately what matters. If you win the award, yeah, okay, that's great. But that's kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday. Getting that level of play is really what matters. And the 49ers are getting it. And when you combine an MVP level play with the best play caller in the league and the weapons that he has, you're getting a team that could potentially go 14 and three. That's what you get. You get the best team in the NFC. And that's where the 49ers are right now. It is a hell of a time to be alive and be a 49er fan. And God, do I love it. Uh, I do want to take one second here before I get to some more of your comments, just to give a shout out to Slot Right Marketing, who helped me create my website that you saw on the screen earlier, goldstandardniners.com. I always do the grades every single Monday. You can go and check it out. Uh, but I could not have set that up without the help from Joe Kohler and everybody there at SlotRight. They specialize in marketing, consulting, creative strategies, content ideation. They will help you increase your brand equity. They have over 20 plus years of experience. So they know how to get your brand rolling. Visit their website at slotright.com dot com slotright.com joe kohler i promise you they will take care of you they are absolutely the best and uh, we could not have set up the website without them so thank you joe and everybody at slot right seen a lot of comments like this in the chat what's up rob go 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 niners 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 that's pretty much all you can say about the 49ers right now that's where we are there's no kyle shanahan complaints there's no brock purdy complaints there's no offensive line complaints there's no defensive complaints Suddenly, we don't care where Steve Wilkes is calling the game from. You just get cheering. And why not? We should cheer. Ryan Edwards says, does Kyler Murray worry you? He always gives us hell. Kyler Murray does not worry me. In the least. He doesn't. There are not enough plays in the universe that Kyler Murray can make against the 49ers. I do think the Cardinals have a better coach now than they did when Cliff Kingsbury was there. But... I think that's also a pretty low bar. So, nope, not worried about Kyler. Even if he makes some good plays, he's not going to be able to make enough good plays as long. You know, the Niners have that saying, do right longer. Well, think about what it takes to beat them. 
you have got to score constantly. Because if you don't, the Niners are going to catch up to you. And you've got to be able to score constantly against that 49ers defense. And even if you score constantly, you got to stop the best offense in the league, arguably. Good luck, man. And you got to do that for four quarters? That's why they're so damn hard to beat. There's no let up. And, you know, I remember thinking when the Niners went into the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, like when it's fourth down, fourth and short, you got to go for it because you got to keep Mahomes off the field because they're you have to almost assume they're going to score every time down the field. Now it's the 49ers that have that kind of offense. When Pete Carroll decided to punt on fourth and short, I think it was fourth and two at the, I don't know if they were in 49ers territory. They were. It was fourth and two at the Niners 47 with about five minutes and 20 seconds to go in the first half. And Pete Carroll punts. And as soon as he did that, I was like, that's a mistake. You had your chance to take control of this game. You're not going to hold the 49ers down all day. And they punted. And guess what? They didn't hold the 49ers down all day. San Francisco went on to score 14 points in the second half of the game. And lo and behold, they win by 12. That's the offense that the 49ers have right now. They have one of those offenses that you now have to worry about. It's not the Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not this. I know it's the same system, but it's a totally different offense because of how Brock Purdy is playing how he looks for doubles over singles, how he consistently moves the ball, how he avoids negative plays. Even with sacks, a lot of times he gets back pretty close to the line of scrimmage or he'll throw the ball away. It's a totally, it's a different system. You can't play them the same way you have. Chi says, if we're nitpicking, we still have questions about Jake Brendel. Sneaky, uh, streaky play at times and those low snaps drive me crazy. I guess it's better than high snaps. (sighs) Brendel is... Yeah, look, he was a Pro Bowl alternate last season. Maybe that speaks more to flaws with the Pro Bowl system than anything else. He's a journeyman offensive lineman. You know, you're not going to have all pros at every spot, although the 49ers seem to come damn close. But you're just going to have to accept that he is what he is. He's okay. He's uh, serviceable is the word, I would say. He's serviceable. He's going to have some bad plays, but he's going to have more good than bad, and he's going to be – he's not going to – get beat quickly, right? Die slowly is an expression a lot of offensive linemen use. It's like, hey, you might get beat, but at least if you get beat, try and make it take as long as possible so you give the quarterback some options to succeed on the play. I think that's who Jake Brendel is. And we've seen the 49ers invest in the center position under Kyle Shanahan in the past, right? They went out and signed Weston Richburg to a massive contract, and they went out and signed Alex Mack too. So that's a, a priority for them. And now they've, they seem to be thinking that Brendel is good enough. So they're trying to save a little money, I think, as part of it. And he's been okay. But yeah, there are a couple of plays where he gets blown up a couple times a week, I would say. I think that's fair. All right. Apparently, we got what is happening in the chat right now. I don't understand. We've got a fight in the chat about Brock Purdy, apparently. Of course, that's what we have to fight about all the time, right? We can't just be happy that we have an MVP quarterback. Oh, here we go. I think I've found the origin of it. Ryan Edwards said, I remember the first pass I saw Purdy throw to, I believe Danny Gray last season. I was like, this dude is going to be a stud. Okay. I wasn't going to go this route because I want us to be positive on the show today. But let me just say this. There are a lot of people, particularly on 49ers Twitter, who want a lot of credit for saying, I knew about Brock Purdy. 
From the first time I saw him throw, from the first time I watched his college film, I knew when he was going to be drafted. Then somebody else will say, I knew when Brock Purdy was born, he was going to be a great quarterback, right? Everybody knew. All these people want credit for being in on Brock Purdy early on the ground floor. Here's the secret that they don't ever talk about. All these people are blind homers who were telling you Jimmy Garoppolo was it. They were telling you that everybody is it. Every 49ers quarterback that shows some semblance of ability, Nick Mullins, I'm looking at you, they hop on board and say, he's the truth. He's going to be the franchise guy. Now, when Brock Purdy comes along, and it looks like that might actually be true, now they want credit, right? You're like the guy that buys all the raffle tickets in the church raffle and then wants credit for winning it. No, you were saying this about every 49ers quarterback, and now you just happen to be right but they don't ever want to admit that they want you to think that they are the scouting experts, that they saw something that the entire NFL didn't see. Right. But they knew they want the credit for that. They want their flowers and they'll remind you of it. Every chance they get nothing wrong with saying, I didn't think Brock Purdy was going to be any good. And guess what? Brock Purdy is really good. Nothing wrong with saying that. What is the big problem? Why is that so hard for some people? I don't know gameplan.exe says that's impossible. Even Brock Purdy's own mom didn't know he Purdy was going to be good when he was bored. <sighs> it's, it's frustrating. Why are we fighting about this? How, how many times do we have arguments about the 49ers quarterback situation and how frustrating it was and all those clips going around about, look at this open receiver that we didn't hit and look at this bad throw that we should have got more yards on. This should have been a touchdown and it only ended up being a field goal because the throw was inaccurate. We are past all that. Those days are over. When there's an open guy, Purdy hits him, and he doesn't just complete the pass. He puts it in the perfect spot, and it becomes a touchdown. We're we're past those days of clips of open guys that don't get the football. Maybe there's like one a game, maybe. Brock is nailing those throws. He's nailing the plays that even aren't there right away, that he has to make happen with his legs and his vision. So why are we going to sit here and argue about who was right on Brock Purdy first? And who, who deserves the most credit for praising Brock Purley the earliest? Who cares? Who cares? The important thing is he's in the building. He's playing this way. And he has the 49ers atop the NFC. And honestly, I think the team that nobody wants to face. And I know. I know there's a bunch of you that are sitting there saying, how are you going to be the guy saying this when you have yet to declare Brock Purdy a franchise quarterback? I get it. But as I have tried to explain to people, I like to wait two years for everybody, not just Brock Purdy, not because I'm skeptical specifically about Brock Purdy, because I think it takes two years to see a quarterback in all the situations that I'd like to see him in before I declare somebody franchise quarterback. That's it. That's all it is. That's all it is, right? We still haven't got to see Brock Purdy in the cold. Like I'm talking like real winter weather cold in the snow, that type of thing. Is he going to have to play a lot of games in the snow? Probably not, but I'd still like to see it. Perfect example, right? Look at Jared Goff. Jared Goff is awful in the cold, in the snow, in any kind of weather. Jared Goff is awful, and we saw it last week, right? Against the Bears, Sunday. Goff stinks in the cold. It's tough to play in the cold. We haven't seen Brock in the cold. Not saying he can't do it. All I'm saying is, and the reason why I like to wait is, I just would like to see a quarterback, my quarterback, in as many different situations as possible. 
so I can get the most information possible. That's it. I hope that's not too terrible for people, but that's my thinking. And you know what? Maybe I haven't accurately and totally explained it. And I apologize. That's on me if I haven't. But that's all I was thinking. Nick Ellert, YouTube channel member, says the same reason people want to be first is the same reason people who still discredit him won't change their stance. They rather alter information than admit they were wrong. Yeah, I think it was Jason Aponte who said people would rather be right than get it right. So they twist information. They twist the facts to suit their original conclusion. It's why during the three-game losing streak, some people were saying, see, see, he is just a seventh-round pick. He's not that good. See, now it's real. I was waiting on it, but now we see. This counts. The other stuff doesn't count, but this counts because they want to be right. They want it to match up with their original perception. Uh, Ryan Edwards, oops, sorry, I didn't mean to click that off, says, I don't know why it's a problem that I was impressed when I saw him in preseason. Here's the problem, Ryan. If you really saw one throw from Brock Purdy and you were like, he's going to be a stud, that's a terrible scouting process. That's a terrible evaluation process, right? Like if you put on a blindfold and walk across the street and don't get hit by a car, that doesn't mean that was a good idea. You might have ended up okay, but that's not something that you should do and repeat often. So even if you did see that, which who knows if you did, I wasn't there. But that doesn't mean like you're some superior scout and that you should get flowers or credit. That's all. Uh, we're still talking about Jimmy Garoppolo in the chat. Why? Don't waste your time with Jimmy Garoppolo. Don't. Why are we still thinking about that? We got our own problems with number 10 in, in red still, which by the way, can I just say, I will never, ever, ever forgive Ronnie Bell ever because I have been waiting for four years since Mish Wisnowski got drafted. Cause you know, I'm doing research on these guys and it's like, oh, Wisnowski was an Aussie football guy. And I'm like, wait a minute, Aussie football guy. He knows how to carry the ball. He can probably move a little bit. He ran a 4.63 in the 40-yard dash. We could do some things with Mitch Wisnowski as a punter, right? Some fake puns, some cool stuff. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Every fourth and short. I'm like, this could be it. This could be the time we see Mitch Wisnowski. And finally, yesterday, we finally got to see it. Because the Seahawks basically just vacated one whole side of the field and Wisnowski takes off of his own accord. It was not a fake punt, Kyle Shanahan said, but he saw the right read and he takes off and he picks up 30 yards and gets hit laid out of bounds. So it was going to be a 45 yard play on fourth and 12 and Ronnie Bell. Oh, Ronnie blocks a Seahawk below the waist, offsetting penalties. It doesn't count. The play that I've been waiting four years to see doesn't count. But it was glorious. And shout out to Mitch Wisnowski for just taking the ball and doing it. Because you know if he doesn't get it, Kyle Shanahan is going to rip his head off. But he did, and it worked. Unfortunately, it uh, got called back. But I was definitely bummed. Uh, Chi says, Ronnie slipped on that one. I don't blame him for that. I don't think he did, Chi. I think he drops to the to the field. I think he... He wanted it to look like he didn't block him below the waist, but he wanted to block him below the waist. To me, it looks like he just goes down. Uh, but yeah, that is the play. J. Cruz 49er says, Mitch Wisnowski is the real MVP. Way more clutch than Brock and Dak. I mean, I'm just saying, how many fourths and twelves did Dak Prescott convert last night? Just saying. Uh, Sinan says, YouTube channel member, I'm just happy I won't have to close my eyes and pray when our quarterback throws deep or throws on the run. 
Absolutely. I thought Brock had a couple throws on the run yesterday that were very good on the mark throws. Again, so much of what Brock does is just taking plays that in the past have been incompletions or negative plays, turnovers, and just turning them into positive plays. Not necessarily all touchdowns, but even if it's just a two-yard gain on a play that would have been a three-yard loss, right? That's a five-yard difference. That, that keeps the possession alive in ways that we had not seen previously. So Brock deserves a ton of credit for that. <laughs> and here it is. Ryan Hamblin says, at least Ronnie Bell didn't line up offsides and get on Patrick Mahomes' poop list. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. If you look at the landscape of the NFL, right? And I know anybody can win any given Sunday, but you've got, if Trevor Lawrence hadn't played, four of the seven AFC playoff teams would have had backup quarterbacks playing. The Chiefs don't have a backup quarterback playing, but they are really struggling right now, particularly on offense. And they haven't had like a big injury on offense that's really taken somebody away. They just have not been a very good offense all year long. The Chiefs are seven and six right now and struggling for their playoff lives. The Bengals do do not have Joe Burrow anymore. I know that the Seahawks and Russell Wilson look like they're coming along, which God help me, I do not need a Russell Wilson revival by any stretch of the imagination you still have the dolphins they're looking good they're nine and three you still have to contend with them you still have to contend with lamar but you're at least going to get the chance to see him on christmas day but the amount of potential challenges in the afc could be pretty low and and all this stuff goes into the pot when you're talking about teams that have a chance to win a super bowl and how you win a super bowl a lot of stuff we don't think about right injuries to other teams that eliminate players and potential bad matchups For example, I don't think the Browns are going to do much in the AFC playoffs. Even if they make it, I think they'll be eliminated early. I think they're a team that could potentially give the Niners big problems, and they did earlier this year because they can play man-to-man and they can get pressure with their front four. But I don't think the Niners are going to have to ever play them again this season. All that stuff goes into the stew when you're trying to see, like, can my team really win a Super Bowl? The landscape of the NFL to this point, through 14 weeks, or almost 14 because there's a couple games tonight, looks like it's coming up in the Niners' favor which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. James Welsh says, I mean, burn me at the stake, but I still don't know if Purdy will be good in the long term with an unattenuated roster, but it doesn't matter Win the Super Bowl. I understand if you have those questions, but I think it's fair to ask if any quarterback would be as good if you took away all their playmakers, right? But separate from that is this year. Because if I told you, he was, it was going to be like a Joe Flacco type thing, right? Where maybe Brock Purdy plays the best he's ever played and the Niners win the Super Bowl. And then after that, he's never as good. You'd still take it, right? You'd still take the Super Bowl. I know I would personally. And I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen. But all I'm saying is this year is the only thing that matters. The four games left in the regular season and the four games potentially in the playoffs. That's it. That's all that matters for this team. And everything else we can get to when we get to it. When you have a team that's in the state that the 49ers are in, in this window that the 49ers are in, you don't look beyond it ever. You don't have to look beyond it. And so that's why I won't. I'm not going to ask myself those questions. I'm not going to ask myself, well, what about Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk? That's not a problem for right now. That is future Rob's problem or future Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch's problem. All I'm worried about, Arizona Cardinals this week. That's it. Get the number one seed. That's the first thing. Technically, the first thing is win the division. 
But if the Niners win next week, they clinch the NFC West anyway. So I, that's going to go hand in hand with beating the Cardinals. But win the number one seed, get healthy, and stay healthy. And like we talked about, they have some injuries that they need to hopefully get straight. Win the number one seed, get healthy, take it one game at a time in the playoffs. They have the team. They have the quarterback. They have the opportunity with the rest of the AFC being banged up. This is as good a chance that the 49ers have had to win a Super Bowl in one that they're not actually in, because obviously 2012 and 2019, they were in it. But right now in week 14, this is as good a chance. And I think they're at least going. I really do. Started thinking about what am I going to need to do to get my flight to Vegas, to get my hotel room? How am I going to pay for all that? Because that's definitely going to be a thing. The flight actually is not bad. When you go to the Super Bowl, what crushes you is the hotel room. And I've covered many Super Bowls. I've covered almost every Super Bowl since 2012, actually. The first Super Bowl I covered was the one the Niners were in against the Ravens in New Orleans. The hotel is what crushes you because they just jack up the prices because they know everyone's there for the Super Bowl. So that's what I was thinking about when my head hit the pillow last night. It was, holy crap, I think I really got to look at this now. How are we going to do this? Who's going to, you know, how's my wife going to get the kids to school if I'm not here in the mornings because I'm at the Super Bowl? Talking 11. Hey, would you go to the Super Bowl with me if we go? Can we do it together? That's where I think the Niners are. And it's all first world problems, right? That's all good things to, to have to, to worry about. But that's where we are. And just enjoy it. Enjoy it right now. Enjoy this week. Enjoy the rest of this season because it's going to be a wild and crazy, crazy ride. All right, that's going to do it for me. I actually went about 15 minutes longer than I thought I was going to. I apologize for not having a partner today. But like I said, Vish is uh, in India through the new year. So you're going to have to deal with me a little bit. I love you all. Shout out to everybody on Twitch, everybody on YouTube, everybody on Facebook watching. You are the absolute best. Thank you for letting me do my dream job. Please rate, review, and follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. We are live every single weekday here on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook. If you click the little bell, you'll get notifications that'll tell you every single time we go live. We don't want you to miss anything. By the way, stay tuned for Zach Ertz news, too. That could happen this week. That might be a nice little addition the 49ers can make. But, again, thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. Uh, Gio says, how much are Super Bowl tickets? I have no idea. I know that I will not be going to the game. Even if I had a free ticket, I wouldn't go to the game. I want to be in my house, in my spot, with everything the same. And, oh, by the way, I want to be able to do the pod after the show, win or lose. So, anyway, thanks, everybody. Appreciate you. Go Niners, and we'll talk soon.